0: and nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast, and we come at you twice a week, Tuesdays, Fridays. This is Aaron Portsline with The Athletic, joined by Allison Lucan. Hello. And Tom Reed. Hello. And we have a special guest with us this week as well. Um, You have definitely read this man's work. You call him Chris Johnson. We call him CJ, a Sportsnet veteran, five, six years now with Sportsnet. CJ?
1: Yeah, coming up on six years in January, just after that lockout ended uh, that we don't want to remember too well.
0: Yeah, right. We might be reminded of it soon here, though. Um, uh-huh. Thanks so much for joining us. I, it, it's always good, I think, to get a, a national perspective on things. Um, I, yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't come at you full bore, I guess, with with the big question that, that uh, has sort of demanded the attention of all Blue Jackets fans. Um, for quite a while now, and it will for at least a few more months, I'm guessing. Sergei Bobrovsky, Artemi Panarin, both unrestricted free agents this uh, summer. Neither of them currently talking to the Blue Jackets. What's the view from outside the the uh, city? What's the view from Canada? What do you make of the situation and, and your feelings toward what's going on here in Columbus?
1: Well, the view, at least my view, isn't particularly positive. You know, when it comes to Either of those guys returning to the Blue Jackets, you know, not not even based on specific things I've heard from them or their agents, but but more just how unusual this is, and and you know, a player takes on a fair amount of risk when he plays out his final year of his deal, even with July 1st looming, just because you know injury or any number of things could come that that could in, interrupt what's going to be a big payday. I think we're safe to say for both of these guys. So, you know, the fact that they've willingly taken on that risk. You know, to me, suggests there is a plan, and so far that plan hasn't been, you know, having meaningful discussions uh, with the Blue Jackets. Although I, I did laugh last night when I saw Panarin's agent uh, Dan Milstein, uh, you know, put, you know, put that picture up and chirping a bit there, Portie. So, you know, I, I think things are amicable enough, maybe in this situation, and and you know, certainly what I've heard in being around the Blue Jackets a bit is that they still hold out some optimism that this could play out in a positive way for them, but. You know I, I just have trouble seeing it, um, because so few players have the the opportunity to speak to a team uh, and, and you know potentially hammer out an extension as I believe both these guys would have and, and, and choose to forego it. I mean, to me, it suggests they're each going to test for agency.
0: Yeah, and that, that picture, I think it's going to look if things continue down the path that I think a lot of people expect you wonder what that picture is going to look like February 26th, you know, because they, yeah. they have taken the very it's almost a risk. It's a for sure a risk on the Blue Jackets part, uh, especially regarding Panarin. If he gets hurt and people say, well, he doesn't he doesn't he does not make himself vulnerable at all. He doesn't take big hits. Usually guys get hurt in lots of different ways. I look at Vinny Trocheck in Florida. Um, and if something like that happened to Panera, that is absolutely devastating for Columbus.
1: It is, you know, and I'm and I am sympathetic to the organization in this one because, you know, I, I can see why they would want to keep the players and get what they can out of this season too. I mean, sure, you, you, you build a team up the way they have, and and you know, obviously, there's been a fair bit of regular season success the last couple of years, and and you know, it hasn't translated to the playoffs yet. You know, I can understand not just wanting to trade these guys for future assets and basically resetting the clock on, on when your team can compete. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not sure they've handled this wrong. I think they've been put in a tough spot. And I, it'll be very interesting, the decisions they make. I mean, I guess it's a no-brainer if they hang around the top of the division right through the trade deadline. You know, maybe maybe there won't be as much pressure to, to do something. But, you know, if they slip off a little bit between then and now, uh, they're going to have a very interesting decision on their hands
0: you think there's any way they hang on to both these guys? And I, I think Panarin's different because he doesn't have control of his contract. Bob has a no move. And I think the position's different anyways. But do you think there's any way both of these guys are still on the roster February 26th? If if there's no talking going on, in other words, do you think Yarmo and company could dare say, hell, that we're going for it? Let's go.
1: I, I I could see that scenario playing out. I'm not sure if it's the most likely, but – you know, I, I don't think it's that big of a stretch either, just because, you know, I, I don't know what is as, as good as Panarin is, as great as Panarin is. And he's certainly well-regarded uh, player. And, and, you know, I know he's gone through a bit of a scoring drought, but, you know, still putting up points right now. I mean, he, he I don't know what he really gets you that that can help for the season. I mean, I guess the best case scenario would be if there was some trade out there where, you know, the Blue Jackets are getting back a, a player that signed uh, that that you know, maybe isn't quite up to the same level, but is still very, very good. Right. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if they just kept them and, and went for it a little bit. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: there there could be an opening there. You know, Washington's having a, a strong start to the year, but beyond that, the division isn't blowing anyone away, I don't think. No. And and no. you know, I, I could see it happening, but it's so much will depend what happens, you know, now for the rest of you know December and January and where they're they're situated, I think, as that, that deadline gets closer.
0: Yeah. Well, we're pretty certain you agreed to do this only because it would give you 15 minutes of not talking about William Nylander, Chris. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: So So we're not
1: going to talk about William Nylander then. Good.
0: I'm going to skirt the issue a little bit. Um, Columbus saw it here last year. Certainly not as as big a story as that because it didn't go as long for one reason. Uh, But Josh Anderson uh, coming out of his entry level deal. Those next deals are becoming really tricky for players who have any sort of track record in their first three years. Columbus may see it again next summer with Zach Wierenski, who's had a, a brilliant start to his career, and is going to be looking for a big payday. Now, historically, the big payday hasn't come until really the third contract, but there are players are getting paid on potential now uh, more than ever, and I think we've started to see a real sea change. Darren Ferris was the agent for Josh Anderson and a couple of guys who went through this last summer, uh, and I'm wondering, you've watched this as closely as anybody, Where's this fight at, and and where do you think this is going? Are are agents winning this? The is still not signed, but are they winning this battle of getting players significantly more money earlier in their careers than than previously seen?
1: Well, certainly a few agents have won that battle. I I look at the Leon Dreisaitl contract, even Jack Eichel's contract. I mean, obviously Jack's a you know a player drafted right at the top of the draft who's showing a lot of potential, but you know, to get ten millions times eight years uh, after just two years in the league to get that extension then was probably a, an aggressive play from Buffalo. Not necessarily the wrong play, but, you know, it's an example of where a player has been able to jump right into his big money long-term deal, you yeah. know, rather quickly into his career. And and so I do think that the landscape has changed a little bit. And, and where the divide comes is that not everyone's willing to acknowledge it's changed. So certainly the agents are pushing that idea that that those type of contracts, first of all, have, have shot the, the worth of uh, RFA or Group 2 free agent up. And, and not all the teams are saying that. Some of the teams are still pointing to the numerous other deals. I mean, if you look at most of the stars of the last 10 years, signed either five or six years in their second deal and, and, and not at the top money in the league. That, you know, that includes uh, Crosby, John Tavares, Steven Stamkos, uh, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane. I mean, all these guys played their second deals on five or six year contracts. You know you know well paying contracts but not right at the top of the pay scale and then hit the, the the big home runs the ones they're playing on now in that third deal you know I think it's it's changed and I think it's going to change um, because we we see first of all there's just so many great young players <coughs> excuse me and so many of these guys have made such an immediate impact that it's hard for the teams to ignore how important they are to the franchise so you know, I see Austin Matthews getting eight years and huge money from the Leafs. Uh, you know, Patrick line I, I mean, the list of right now, there's 10 or 12 impact guys, including Wrensky, that will be up this summer. And and so just because of the fact that I don't think all agents and teams see this the same way yet, it's not an accepted way of doing business completely. I mean, it's a way some teams have done business, but it's not probably the industry standard. I think you'll see more battles like the Nylander battle um, where – you know, the team is taking a position, either take a short-term deal and, and prove it to us, you, you, you've earned that, that monster deal. Or, or, you know, if you're signing on a long-term deal, you have to give us you know, a little bit of a discount here. You have to, you know, lower your expectations because we're paying you on past performance, you know, more than future performance. So, you know, I do think this is a new battleground. Uh, be very curious to see, you know, in the next round of CBA negotiations if the second contracts are addressed in any way in, in terms of what's allowed under those rules. But if the system doesn't change, uh, I think we're just eventually going to get to a place where RFA and UFA doesn't matter for the top players that, that, that basically, once you get out of your entry level deal, you're getting paid, what your value is, you know, league wide. And in a lot of cases, these 21 year old, 22 year old players are worth a whole lot of money to their teams.
0: And you can imagine some of the spats going on at the GM meetings between those who have no problem forking over UFA type money to RFA players, because I know a lot of GMs resent that that they're for sure they're going through the fight and other teams aren't willing to
1: i heard I heard some quibbling about the mcdavid deal and, and you know I don't think there's any real debate now that he's the most talented best player league wide he's you know he's won two scoring titles in three seasons as, as an NHL player four seasons rather but but you know he's signed twelve and a half million times eight and and a lot of you know GMs are saying well that that isn't fair based on past market value even though you know, he's unquestionably good, you know, a great player. And, and that's probably had some trickle down effect where you know a lot of guys say I'm not McDavid, but I'm you know, seven eighths of McDavid and and, and all of a sudden that, that you know amount is more. So, you know, there's always complaining about deals that get handed out. And you know, I think that we're gonna see so many probably in the next year, uh, that, that potentially by the time if we were doing this podcast a year from now, it will be just more of an accepted practice that you, you can't fight these guys that are your your difference-making wow. players, you know, that are so young.
0: Wow. Interesting. Tom, you got a question for our guest?
2: Yes, Chris. Normally, I, I think a lot of national guys, when they talk about the Blue Jackets, at least the performance on the ice, they've got to do a lot of background research and uh, just kind of bone up and make sure they're they're caught up to speed because they aren't necessarily a marquee franchise. But in talking with you uh, kind of around the rink, over the last couple years as they've gotten better, you've watched them a lot and can you can you tell our listeners kind of why that has developed over the last two or three years with this team
1: well i i I got pretty intrigued you know when they went on that long long winning streak that that year is that two seasons ago yeah and that's you know i was wondering is this real is this team you know is this is this because sometimes we see things that aren't sustainable and i just got kind of curious in the blue jacket so i'm certainly not watching as much as the listeners and 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 as you guys at that covering the team but You know, I, I, they're sort of like one of these teams when they're on and I'm at home, you know, I I usually flip them on for a little bit of time, you know, and I don't really know why that is. It's, it's not, uh, it's not, you know, I'm not cheering for them or anything, but I I just, I'm kind of curious about them. And I think sometimes when you watch a team, you you start to fall. It's like, it's like, if you watch a show, you start to know some of the storylines a little better and you know, you're just, you're just following along and seeing what's happening. So I would say, Certainly, from the Eastern-based teams, I've I've probably watched them a disproportionate amount uh, the last two seasons or so, and and um, you know I, I just there's something about it. I, I'm not just because I'm on your podcast. I love going to Columbus. It's just maybe because they're maybe a little bit undercovered nationally. Uh, that's that's added to my interest. I, I can't really put my finger on it exactly, but uh, you know I've i uh, I'm always watching this, the the Blue Jackets. The, you know the nights I'm home if they're playing
2: uh you got a chance to see them up close uh the last this last week the blue jacks obviously just played the leafs they split uh, they split two games and just your impressions of of some maybe some of the players on this team we've obviously talked a lot about off off the ice going on with lebrowski panarin but uh anyone catch your eye uh who's caught your eye here in the games that you've happened to see recently
1: well it was hard for me to miss pierre Luc dubois you know and and you know, I'm I'm pretty impressed by this guy. He had a place I can't remember off the top of my head on my my Calder ballot last year. He was among my my finalists, and you know, and what was a really good Calder class, and you know, I just think that man, what a home run for the organization to have picked him where they did when when it you know really wasn't the consensus pick at the time, and you know, even the whole the whole thing with Yarmo being finished and Puliyarvi, you know, the guy he passed off being finished, um, you know that I I really I thought he played well in those games uh, and, and made a difference. And, you know, he was even someone the Leafs players were talking about a little bit. I think his, his respect level around the league is, is going up a little bit as guys get to, to see him more and, and learn more about him. Um, you know, I I, 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 you can't really miss Cam Atkinson these days. It feels like he's scoring goals every time I turn on my TV. Um, you know, the, 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 blue line has been interesting because, you know, the pairings. that was one thing I didn't realize when I went to the game, the pairings had been moved around. I think they've since been moved back around, uh, but you know, seeing you know Wernsky and Jones split up for a little while there, you know, was something that caught my eye. And and you know, it it just uh, you know, I thought the the Jackets played well. They deserved to win the game in Toronto for sure. Um, you know, the Leafs felt that they may they might have deserved the other one. So maybe the hockey gods or whatever you the, the regression gods uh, <laughs> you know even that one out for you, whatever you want to call it. But um, you know, I, I think Columbus is very good. And and it probably answers back to the original question about you know, do you keep Bobrovsky or Panarin is. You know, you have to assess if you're in management, I think, what kind of opportunity you have and be realistic about how good you are. And it's it's a league where it's sometimes hard to tell uh, which teams are, are good. But, I you know, I, I think the Blue Jackets are good again is basically my my simple take on, on seeing them a few times. And, and, you know, they can certainly compete uh, with a team like the Leafs, which is, as we're talking right now, 17-8 and eight and off to a, a pretty good start in their own right.
3: Allison? Yeah, CJ, I wanted to ask you, too, from a... National perspective, you know, one of the questions I always get asked whenever I'm interviewed is always the torts question, right? What's it like to cover John Tortorella? And, you know, we, like you said, see him day in and day out changing up some things. But from a national perspective, have you been surprised or impressed that he's been able to get this kind of success out of the group. And do you do you see change in him or or do you think from your perspective it, it is same old torts and he's just finding a way to be effective right now in Columbus?
1: Well see, I'm admittedly seeing him in snapshots because it's yeah. only a few times a year that I'm I'm really standing in a press conference you know setting with him. But I see definite change in those situations. I mean those Rangers years, you know, it's a long time ago, people mellow maybe Torts has done it on purpose and changed. You know, I'm not sure what it's, what we can point to, but, but I find him a mellower version of the guy that, that, you know, everyone used to see battling Larry Brooks on on <laughs> those, those clips. So, um, you know, I'm surprised too, because honestly, I remember I was driving to Buffalo probably for a Leafs game the day that the, the Jackets hired Torts. And I remember seeing it come across and going Torts, really? Like that's your choice. But, you know, he's, he and they have proven me wrong and, and, that, that won't be the first or the last time, I'm sure, uh, because you know it seems to have worked pretty well. I mean, the ultimate test, I suppose, will be you know, if, if this team can take the next step and have some playoff success and build on what they've done. But, you know, I, 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 I've got a soft spot for him, I have to say. I mean, it depends what you want as a media member from the coach. I mean, some people like to have a cozy relationship. You know, I, I find that when he's in the mood, he answers questions pretty well. Uh, you know, he had he gave a great media session in, in Toronto and then uh, the morning before the game in Columbus, you know, a couple of days later, I thought he was very expansive, including on a question about John Tavares. And, and that kind of surprised me because, you know, I know he doesn't always like talking about players on the other team. And, and so, you know, I, I've always found him to be rather fair. I don't mind when he gets curt, but, you know, I'm not there every day like you guys. And I'm sure there's times uh, on, on both sides of the mic, yeah, it, it can be a frustrating experience. But. You know, I, I find from someone who drops in from time to time, uh, he's he's actually not all that bad to deal with, and, and maybe the the bark is a little louder than the bite.
3: <laughs> are you uh are you surprised at all to see the way this team plays, given kind of the reputation he brought of you know the old play heavy block shots mantra? Does it surprise you that this is how a group under John Tortorella plays nowadays?
1: I, maybe a little bit. I mean, I think it's proof that. Uh, even some of these veteran coaches, I think, are are paying attention to, to shifts in in the way the game is being played league-wide. That they're, you know, trying new things, and and you know that's probably what's allowed them to coach in the league so long. Frankly, is that uh, they they've had to adapt at times, and 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 you know work with the personnel they have. And and you know you're right. It's it's not if we were if we were talking to John Tortorella, you know, stereotype coach team ten years ago, it wouldn't it wouldn't stylistically I don't think look much like the Blue Jackets do today, but so much of the league has changed. You know, there's no fighting there's, there's there's very little hitting compared to, I think what there once was, and there's a lot more skill and, and, you know, some hockey traditionalists don't like that. Uh, I'm not sure if torts is one of those, but, but uh, you know, whether just because it's survival or uh, maybe realizing, you know, in order to win. And I think ultimately this guy's driven by a desire to win. He's very, very competitive man. Clearly, Um, you know, he's, he's embraced this or he's, Uh, You know, allow the Blue Jackets to play this way. And, and, um, you know, I I, I do think that uh, it's worked out much better than I would have guessed. I think that's the best way to put it. I really thought it was an uninspired hire, if I'm being truthful, a few years ago when they hired him. And they have had a lot of wins, uh, you know, with John on the bench. Nice.
0: Nice. Great stuff, CJ. I knew it would be. Thanks for joining us, man. Where do you go now?
1: Uh, I'm still on that, that William Nylander saga Uh, Day-to-day, you know, it's like the news trucks at 4 a.m. waiting just to see if there's a puff of white smoke out of the Leafs arena. But uh, uh, home this week and then uh, off to the NHL Board of Governors meeting on Sunday where Seattle will officially join our league and uh, give us a chance to talk about expansion draft rules and all those permutations for for a year or two anyway.
0: That's incredible. Where are the, the boards this year? Are they back out in California?
1: No, they're in Sea Island, Georgia for the first time. Uh, in my time around the league they have usually been in florida so occasionally in california so yeah. uh, we're, we're going to some golf resort in georgia i don't know that there'll be old golf for me but uh, you know at least it'll be something a little different
0: hey how come they're never in winnipeg
1: <laughs> I, I would love that i mean i'm i'm the only one probably because i'm canadian but uh, I, I love going to winnipeg that's a hockey city Damn. uh i don't know i guess it's because the guys who run the league uh, you know can hang out at fancy resorts and Right. I can tell you for a fact there aren't very many fancy resorts in Winnipeg.
0: Yeah. <laughs> good answer, good answer, man. Hey, thanks for your time. We'll see you out there on the tour, CJ. Really appreciate it.
1: Look forward to it. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, man. So, to the Blue Jackets specifically, now uh, it came to our attention. We learned yesterday that that uh, the agent for our Temi Panarin, Dan Milstein, was in Detroit on Sunday. Met with the Blue Jackets brass on Sunday. In fact, picked up picked up. Assistant General Manager Bill Zito at the airport in Detroit. Um, and the three of them, at least the three of them, had a meeting uh, in Detroit on Sunday evening. Uh, both sides have said that the meeting did not uh, relate to Artemi Panarin. <laughs> um, which so, would which suggest that there were flights made to Detroit so that they could discuss Vladislav Gavrikov. And I'm not asking you to believe that. They are. Uh, so, anyways, um, Panarin, of course, remains unsigned. The There's no signs yet that he is willing to negotiate with the Blue Jackets. But there, uh, there is a thought within the Blue Jacket that maybe not all hope is lost. So, the window that becomes very important now, apparently, is in late January when the Blue Jackets have their five day break. They have an All Star break in there. They have like nine days off, which is really strange in the middle of the season. Uh, so, if I'm getting my dates right, I believe it's like January 20th to January 29th or so. Anyways, in that window, that the, the two sides are going to meet. Now, I don't think the minutes of the meeting have been plotted just yet, but that seems to be a logical time when the Blue Jackets are going to need to have an answer. Okay, one month now before the February 25th trade deadline. Where is this going? Because if he's not willing to sign here, now they have to start weighing the very real possibility of trading him. Uh, so boy, you know, this is where it's at. I don't think there's any, any new developments yet. It's just that things are starting to come more into focus. We're now less than three months from the trade deadline. Um, it's going to be really, it's only going to get more intense. The team's handled it very well up to this point that this, along with the Bobrovsky situation, but it is only going to get more intense. And I think a late January and February is going to be a really, really tense time. Around this club, I just think it is, and it won't be a media creation. It'll be the, the reality of the situation. Tom, you were with this team last night, seven to five, a, a wild win in Detroit. Panarin looked looked fantastic. You wrote about it with uh, great eloquence today on the Athletic website. Tell us that what that game was like and, and how Panarin looked to you.
2: Yeah, I, I obviously he played very he played very well, uh, especially early in the game. Uh, you know, when, when, when you think of, when you think of like why Yarmo and these guys are taking that risk and I, you know, I think Porty you and I agreed and probably Allison did too, uh, I can't remember a specific conversation with her, but just the whole thing of God, why would you take this risk? Which you laid out pretty well the other day of why would you keep this guy going into the season? You know, what if he gets hurt, you know, all oh. this stuff, but then there are moments like last night when he, no one else in the ice sees this play. You know, the first goal of the game, he throws about a 110-foot pass off the kicker boards behind the goaltender, and it's just, just a moment of genius. And these are the type of plays that he can make. And really, you're thinking, you're watching the game in November, but you're thinking of these are the kind of plays that win games in the playoffs. These are the type of moments where a guy can score in overtime against Washington. You know, I, how many guys do we have that can make this type of play? And this is why this makes this guy so special. And that's the way that the night began. And then he ends up uh, ending his 12-game goal of streak, gets a goal. And that was just a performance that, you, that reminded everybody how special this player is. Well, that was the good part of it. The bad part of it was that the Blue Jackets nearly pissed away a four-goal lead in the second period. Right. And in talking with Seth Jones after the game, we got into this whole conversation. I mean, they have been, Aaron, they've been in eight games this year, that have had at least nine nine goals scored in them total, and they're six one and one in that mark, which is a, pretty impressive to get in that many shootouts and win them all, or almost all of them. And you know, I, it's like is this is this becoming normal? And he's like, No, we can't, we can't. Live this way. I know that we're playing pretty well in these games and getting results, but things have to be buttoned down. They got to start winning more games 2-1-3-1 one, one. and uh, you know that's right now. But that's the way it is. I can't remember a season uh, with this many games where it wasn't. You know, remember two years ago when they had their record-breaking season? They were winning games ten to nothing and eight to one and seven to one. That's not this. That is these games are wild. You know, you just they don't look like they they. They get a big lead and they and they and they blow it and it's it's uh, it's been a crazy start to the season in, in that regard,
0: and I think it is all over the league. Although I do think it's lasted longer all over the league this year than it has. I mean, you, you're still seeing wild scores on a nightly basis. Maybe not so much like the first month of the season, but it seems like a typical season we're in the three one range, three one four one four two games, not seven five six four. Feels, but it doesn't feel like the nineteen eighties is just the scores are that way. The style of play is, is much, much different. Yeah. It's um it's fascinating. Um Allison, what do you make of this team and all the all the goal? I mean, we've talked about the goals they've scored. They're top five in the league and in offense. My God, they're giving up a lot too though, aren't they? And and I think Bob wants the fifth goal back
3: last night. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I
0: oh, I mean, mostly he's been really, really good. What's going on with this team defensively?
3: Yeah, I mean, this is this is something that I've started to bring up quite a bit um, because it, it's, it's no longer a random thing. It's looking like a trend for this team is that they are acquiescing the shot-share battle night in and night out. Um, and the reason that they've been able to win is that when they take their shots, they've been able to control – the quality battle, right? So they're giving up a lot of shots and shot attempts, but the ones that they take, they make count and they're getting them from good locations. But um, I asked Torts about this last week and and it's something we're still digging into, but that's not a way that this team can play. Like we just discussed, you know, this is, this is not necessarily a Washington Capitals team that can set up a play and has deadly scoring or, or a Pittsburgh Penguins that, that, has lived on that philosophy for quite some time. So it is about not giving up those attempts. It's about not giving up the dangerous areas of the ice. If they are going to give up those attempts. I mean, if you look relative to the league right now, the jackets are, are pretty low um, in terms of, and that's not good (laughs) in terms of controlling shot share. So they need to, whether it's getting an overall better shooting mentality to maybe apply some pressure that way to an opponent while also limiting what they're giving up to their opponents, that is an aspect of their game that they really have to clean up for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, it's an interesting, I mean, they've never been able to score like this. They've never been able to give up goals like this and win. <laughs> right. So you don't, want, you don't want to look a gift force in the mouth here necessarily, but, but, um, They're they're getting results. That's the first time, by the way, ever in his career, Bobrovsky, 411 starts, that he's allowed five goals or more and won. So I don't know if it's progress or what that says exactly. Uh, Blue Jackets Thursday against the Wild in Nationwide. Saturday at the New York Islanders in the old Coliseum. Tom, are you doing that game?
2: Oh, yeah. I, I booked my passes you're, you're probably in the in the process of booking your trips to Seattle and Vancouver and stuff like that. I uh, I will uh, yeah I'm trying to find the, the right plane, the right train, the right taxi, the right Uber, the right everything to get out to the Coliseum. I don't know why. So I, I will say this. I love the building. I I'm 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 a romantic. Clearly. It's a great place to watch a game. Mm-hmm. At least for you, it's a very dramatic view. You're right. You're right there. Yes. Uh, Good Lord, getting, getting to the Coliseum is is tough.
0: Yes. I do love the fact that you, you ask for it and then bitch about it the whole season. Oh, man. <laughs> that's the way it goes. So uh, that's a wrap for this edition of Front and Nationwide. We will be back with you on Friday. I have no idea what episode this is. I've ceased uh, being curious of that uh they play the wild on thursday we'll be back to talk to you about a friday if you're listening to this uh this morning we've got a chat coming up at noon so join us for that tons of content up on the site from tom from allison from myself uh Vathletic.com uh slash columbus if you want to localize it uh thanks so much for your time thanks for listening thanks for reading and we'll talk to you again on friday